Cast and sing the never ending uh, story song. No, I don't know. I don't really know the lyrics, man. I don't even oh, really know all the lyrics. Just the chorus. It took a while for me to even recognize that that's what they were singing. And then when they got to the hook, the never ending story, I went, oh, shit. And, you know, I popped for it. But yeah, it took a while for me to even recognize that song. It's been a terribly long time since I've seen that shit or even seen it referenced, but it was still kind of cool. You want to hear something slightly controversial? Yes. Never ending story. Very overrated. Uh Uh-oh. No, it's not my favorite either, honestly. Like, I get it. It you know brings the feels and shit. But I watched that maybe three or four years ago. It's garbage. And that's the appropriate response. <laughs> well, well, I was gonna say I was eating cheese, but I was gonna say it's garbage now. You were eating but... cheese? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> A block cheese. of cheese. Cheese like Monterey Jack, Chip and Dale. All right. Now, Calm down, Polly Shore from the Goofy movie. No, but I was saying, um, <laughs> but what I was saying is, uh, it, it's it's bad for today's time. But at, but if you consider the time period, I mean, you can't just always go back to stuff from old and just say, oh, it's shitty. You know, because no, no, you're no. you know you're a today's I, man looking at something <laughs> from yesterday. No, I get that. I'm not saying for the time it was bad. I'm saying it does not hold up well. It does not age well. I see. Gotcha. I could totally I'm saying, believe that. I'm saying people our age, I don't feel like they would legitimately say it's one of their favorite movies of all time if they took their nostalgia glasses off. Yeah. But one movie, I do think that ages well, that... Ghostbusters? Well, of course. I'm not even going to into that. But <laughs> that critics hate, but for whatever reason, people our age enjoy is Hook. Yep, that's I true. I do love Hook. I do like Hook. That's good. I don't remember liking it when I first saw it, so I may I may need to revisit it. Maybe I, like, didn't get it or didn't understand it or, you know, Rufio? me, I was so, like, Rufio? I, I was so, like, d- pro-Disney. I probably saw that and went, man, they don't look anything like the Disney characters. <laughs> and some shit. I was that kid, dude. I was that kid. Like, if you didn't look like I like the original thing I saw, I just thought that you were a cheap copy or I just didn't care. You know, I couldn't see past that. Like like, like whenever like a Superman uh, toy would come out and if it looked different from the original Christopher Reeves Superman, I was like, man, fuck this Superman toy. I don't even want it. it so you mean, you right. never had like you never had like Arctic Force Batman? Hell no. If he didn't have... <laughs> Just that regular ass black suit with the yellow emblem. I didn't want him. Same thing with the Ninja Turtles. I never got those oh feudal times Ninja Turtles or or any Damn, of those. Dude. I didn't get any of those, dude. They had to be the original freaking turtles. Like I did I not had all that shit. I was so dude. picky, dude. I was so I had picky the Halloween Ninja Turtles. I had like the spring break Ninja Turtles. Dude, I had all of them, man. I had all yeah. that shit. I was that kid. So so when I saw Hook for the first time, I went, man, he's not wearing green. Man, Captain Hook doesn't look like this. I was just probably so mad. You know, I really need to go Who back the and fuck watch is it. this Rufio guy? Exactly. I mean, I need to go back and watch it now that I'm not that kid anymore. You know, I'm not that guy anymore. Man, dude, but at the time, man, Bob dude, Hoskins is Smitty. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, yeah man. 
I was just probably like, man, what is this? This isn't the cartoon, man. They don't even look right. What is this? I probably hated it. I think I hated it, man. And see, and that's saying a lot for me because I'm not a huge Robin Williams fan. So, like, for me to legitimately, like, still enjoy Hook, that's how you know it's good. I agree. And Dustin Hoffman, like, that was crazy. I did not know that was him for the longest time. Yeah. And Glenn Close played a random pirate man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, it's all all of that greatness, Justin. Yeah. Get with the motherfucking program. Well, we have gone six minutes and we're nowhere near the fucking episode. Um, <laughs> quick, thing, quick thing before you move on. Um, speaking of Ghostbusters, uh, you know, uh, Finn Wolfhard is actually in Ghostbusters 2020. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So is Paul Rudd. Oh, nice. Even better. Yeah. Like, I don't know Ghostbusters news. Come on, bro. Fair. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. That is probably the most abrupt change I have done going into this. But we have a very awesome episode for you today. It is Justin, Heather, and I. And we will be coming at you with a review episode on, if you couldn't guess by the beginning of this, Stranger Things Season 3. We are also going to talk a little bit about Seasons 1 and 2, just to kind of catch you guys up with how we feel about the previous seasons. And we are, as always, going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. So, Heather, you get to go first, because Justin disappointed me by not knowing the never-ending story song. He should have known that's what I was going to ask when we started recording, <laughs> and he fucking failed. What did you like about Stranger Things? I well, thought- Actually, no. I need to, we need to set the baseline, like I said. So we'll start off first with what are your thoughts of season one and two of Stranger Things? Also, I thought you were going to have him sing the Stranger Things theme song. I was expecting that one. So. Well, all right, let's let him redeem himself. Justin, sing the Stranger Things theme song. But it's like just, it's instruments. It's not really like a... Yeah. yeah. All right, you're too late. You already fucked it up. You failed again, Jast. You failed again. <laughs> I don't like this pressure. So, Heather, what are your thoughts on season one and two of Stranger Things? I will say that I loved it. I didn't know what to expect going into it because for me, 80s, I wouldn't say is like my nostalgic, like, oh, I love the 80s and everything about them and 80s movies and all that. Not that I don't like any of them. It's just not like, you know, I sit back and reminisce on 80s pop culture and movies and stuff like that. So I didn't really know what to expect from it. But the story is so good. Like the storyline ended up being amazing. And I think just from the first episode of it, I was drawn in. Like I had heard bits and pieces about what it was, but I didn't know fully what to expect from it. And even that first episode, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this show? Um, Yeah. So it was, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised with it and it's a great show i mean i ended up watching the the whole season the first and second one i'm pretty sure i watched at least within like three or four days and then season three i watched within like two but i mean it was i mean it was just so great like they're so throughout the whole series they are consistently good at the whole giving you that that 80s vibe you know you just you feel it it's got like this um I don't know, just like a way that they're incorporating the style of the time and all of that and, you know, the pop culture references and the songs and everything about it is just very, it's just done so well. You really just feel like you're, you're just kind of in that time. So I thought they did that in a really, really great way. And the way that they introduced the characters a little bit at a time and you kind of see a really great character development, especially over the first season. 
Um, but even, I mean, just throughout consistently, you just see really great character development. And I mean, just completely different people from the first season to the third. But it just was, I mean, when you see Eleven coming in this thing and, you know, she flips over a truck with her powers and you're just like, what in the world? It's just so suspenseful, but just so well written. And it was just so great. Like I, I, I remember hearing that this show was turned down by several different networks before it was picked up by Netflix. And I was like, they super missed out because that show is amazing. And I mean, I feel like a lot of people now kind of, kind of like how Game of Thrones brought people into getting HBO Go. <laughs> and they just kind of brought people into uh, watching Netflix more. So, oh, sorry. Um, so yeah, but so yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I am a huge fan of the show and I was so excited for this season. Uh, I just think that the characters are genuine and just everything about them. It, it feels very, like I said, just very genuine. You don't feel like they're trying to have characters there for no reason. You feel like they all have a purpose in being in this, in this show and in the story. And it was just really great. So I think it really only got better. I really went back and forth a lot in the first two seasons with which one I liked better. And I mean, it was kind of just depended on the day, honestly. But, um, you know, the first season is just so good that I just it's hard to beat the first season. But it's a very consistently great show throughout, including season three. Geez, already jumping into that season three stuff. Come on. No, I'm just I'm just roping it in. I'm just kind of connecting the dots. Um, Justin, your thoughts, season one and two. Okay. So what did I think about season one and two of Stranger Things? Well, um, you know, I kind of mirror some of Heather's sentiments. Uh as far as my background with this, uh initially before I started watching, um it, you know, I, it took me a while to even give this show a try. Like I kept when it when it first came out, man, there was just a craze on Facebook and everything like that. And I just all, all over my social media, people just kept saying stranger things, stranger things, stranger things. Even my my parents had gotten into the show. And one day I was visiting them and they were like, hey, uh, uh, there's this show. You need to watch it. It's called Stranger Things. And this, you know, and my mom tried, you know, my mom's like uh is one big giant spoiler so i i like have to stop her hey hey hey, wait wait you know i'll watch it myself but she was like so excited about this show and i, I just um you know it just uh it, it, everything i kept hearing was positive everything i kept hearing was like just super positive about the show. People were loving it. And, and I just kept hearing about it. And I was behind on some other shows I was trying to watch. So I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. And then finally, like last year, like I think I want to say it was probably late last year. I was like, okay, this, the, it's all, it's all, it's a season two is out now. I need to give this thing a shot. You know, I need to give this thing a try. So, 
Um, so then I, you know, I tried the show out and kind of some of the things that Heather was saying, man, man, the show was so intriguing. And I mean, when you talk about seasons one and two, I got totally different feelings from each season because each season, though, it it always has that retro aesthetic and the music and everything like that, which is just so 80s and just very perfect. It reminded me of a lot of different films from that time period and stuff like that. But uh, but but season one definitely kind of gave me feelings like with E.T. and stuff like that, especially uh, just looking at Eleven and her relationship with the kids and kind of this person who has these crazy powers that can do these things and kind of, you know, that, that scene where they're all riding on bikes and stuff like that straight out of E.T but it was a nice homage to that um the the whole storyline with will this uh the, the this uh boy missing and where is he and he's in this kind of parallel dimension and his mom and man Winona Ryder I can't say enough about her in that first season man I mean yeah. that with the mother worrying about him and going back and forth and then putting up the lights and stuff like that. I mean, I'm going to have to mirror Heather. It's going to be hard to beat season one because, man, there were just so many standout moments. But Winona Ryder absolutely kills in that first season. Like she just to just blew it. She she just blew me away. I think that that is arguably her best work. Like that's the best I've ever seen her acting wise. She just absolutely killed it. I can't state that enough. But uh, but really, what Stranger Things is about to me is the characters, and I think that's the greatest thing about it. Rather than going full eighties retro, because it's not like we've seen this before. There have been other movies. There have been other the narratives that like to play off of the old school 80s stuff. But this, but, but the important thing about Stranger Things is that it never forgets about its characters. It never forgets about those connections that it makes um, with, with the audience and the people and all of these characters. It never forgets about how much we care about the characters. It, it latched onto us it makes you care about the characters. And then from then on, it never forgets about its characters. It never sacrifices character development or character interaction for the sake of 80s retro or, hey, look at this cool homage right here or homage right there. And I think that that was so smart because that is a precedent that they set in the first season, and it really follows it throughout all three of the seasons, if you ask me. So season one was just so great, and you were just so intrigued, and you wanted Winona Ryder, you wanted her to find her son, and you just wanted them to find Will, and all of that was just great. And and all of the kids acted incredibly well, all of them. I mean, just I mean, I could just go down the list and I mean, there are just so many solid performances for, from all of them. But, you know, everyone from Millie Bobby Brown being 11 and then uh, Finn Wolford Mike and I mean, just all of them, man, uh, were just so appealing in their own ways. They were all just very cool, very compelling children. So anytime they were on screen, you just were intrigued by what everybody was saying or there was some sort of 80s aesthetic or a radio flyer wagon or, you know, just there was just so much stuff 
that was cool to see it and to see this back in this time. But at the same time, not only was it nostalgic, not only did it have these ap appealing characters, but man, when this show needed to be dark and this show needed to be scary, it was. It, 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 it was also a masterwork of how to build tension, how you didn't really know what this thing was. You didn't really understand completely the upside down. And they put, and they put you in the position of the characters so you're you're trying to unravel this story and you're trying to figure this out and it just made for some very tension-filled moments like when lights were flashing and you know like, like i remember just that a couple of scenes with uh winona's character where she's um asking will to speak to her and then the lights are flashing in a certain way in a certain pattern and she's trying to figure out what he's saying and then you hear that rumbling and then that um, and then something is coming for her and she's like what the hell is going on and then you hear uh, Will tell her to run in those lights and she's like oh shit and then all this crazy stuff like there was just some amazing scenes where th that are just full of tension and this knew how to give you all of that so in my opinion uh, this was one of the best things on television for its run and its time. I don't know if there are too many shows better than this that delivers in all of those ways. So season one is probably definitely the standout for me. But just to say a few things about season two, season two added all of these great characters and it was still appealing and they were still awesome and everything was still so cool. I loved Billy and Max. Maxine, Mad Max. And I love how she was Mad Max because I be on that Mad Max shit. So I was cool. I liked her. I really liked her a lot. And then I just liked that dynamic with this brother and sister coming into the town. And that introduction was great. And what can I not say that hasn't already been said about Bob Newby? I absolutely loved Bob Newby, man. Yeah. And uh, the, the actor that plays him is uh sam sam from the lord of the rings oh my god what, what is his actual name sean astin yes sean astin thank you for that i can't believe i forgot that because i really wanted to talk about him but i loved this character this kind of dorky kind of boyfriend that that was uh there for winona's character um, I just, I just loved this. I loved that character, man. I really liked Bob, man. And then just some of the conversations he would have with some of them and how he was always like Bob newbie superhero. And then there was one cool episode where he would call himself Bob the brain and they kind of figured out how they were going to, um, uh, track that that stronghold and everything like that and he kind of assisted the kids and kind of helped them come up with this plan and they were looking at these maps and stuff that was a standout episode and man when it gets to the towards the end of season two and bob sacrifices his life dude that hit me man that was sad dude I, I was really down about that i was like oh bob man like and then I, I went online and found like tribute videos to him and stuff like that and um i was just man that th that really got to me man because i really really just enjoyed that character and it wasn't just that he sacrificed himself it was the way he died man to be ravaged like that and i mean he was such a strong 
character. And ultimately, he wound up being that hero, but he was like a breath of fresh air in season two. His energy on screen, his um, acting ability, man, he really brought it in season two. That was kind of my standout guy for season two. Um, and I and I appreciated that they carried over in season three, you know, uh, Winona's character was still thinking about him and she had that picture of Bob Newby's superhero, that drawing. So I was happy to see that. I was happy to see that that still affected her. You know what I mean? Because it definitely affected me as a viewer. But overall, I love season one and two. And kind of like what Heather said, the last thing I'll say about it is when you're ranking them, maybe I'll put one over two, but it's close, man. Maybe if the right person who loves season two argues with me or debates with me that day, they might convince me that season two is better. I mean, you know, it just, it goes back and forth. I'm sitting on one right now, but boy, is it close. I mean, and that's just how good I thought both seasons were. Oh, man, Justin. Oh, man. Um, I mean, just to kind of, uh, you know, parrot what you guys have already said. Um, no, I really liked uh, the first season of Stranger Things. Um, I didn't know what to expect, like Heather was saying, going into it. And, you know, to me, I am not a big fan of nostalgia. Like I was saying in the earlier part, talking about never ending story and stuff like that. But what I feel like this movie did, and it's something I've brought up before with cliches, is that it took nostalgia and cliches to introduce elements of the story, you know, like the nerdy kids, you know, being the losers and stuff. And, you know, Eleven having those telekinetic powers kind of like all a Firestarter from the 80s and stuff like that. And, you know, the secret government compound experimenting on kids and fighting the Russians with it and all that other stuff. And it played on those tropes in a way that was very familiar to draw you in. It didn't do it to tell it's like because it's the only story it had. It did it to draw you into the story so that it could introduce these characters so that, you know, it didn't have to waste time with a lot of stuff because due to these nostalgic elements or these cliches, you automatically felt at home with a lot of the elements in the story. You know, you are you automatically felt, you know, a connection to the kids, kind of like it was the Goonies or something. You know, you just automatically develop a connection with them, which allows them to kind of go deeper into like some of the harder sci-fi elements and stuff like that. And you're more likely to take the journey because you've already got a connection with these kids and stuff like that. So I, I really liked that aspect of it. And I think it played into those elements very smartly. Um, I kind of want to know how Justin would feel, though, when it comes to talking about season two, if someone didn't like season two as much, therefore they can maybe convince him that season one was better, way better, undeniably better than season two based on that type of argument. Because I had no really real connection to Bob. When Bob got eaten by some demo dogs, I didn't really care. Um, and it's nothing... Nothing against the the writers of the show. Like they, I mean, I guess they did their job trying to make me care, but I can't look at that motherfucker's face and give a fuck what he's doing. So that that whole story arc was just truly wasted on me. Um, but overall, I do think season two was weaker than season one. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it was weaker because in an attempt to try to develop these characters in a more individualized manner. I think they took for granted what was one of the biggest attractions of the first season, which was the relationships with these characters. And so by 
trying to force us to individualize these characters more and develop them slow, like kind of more or less slowly in that way. It took away from one of the, what was so unique and so special about the first season to me. And that's why I just, I don't, I could, I could never in the same sentence say that one and two are comparable to each other because of that. And because of that, that what I just said is how I feel with this show. I do think it does give me specific feelings about season three that I won't spoil whether they are good or bad going into season three, you know, talking about this. I just think there was better ways of handling trying to individually develop these characters or to, to develop new relationships without taking so much of the focus away from the, the pre-established relationships that we had enjoyed, which I do feel like they took a back seat in this movie or movie. What the fuck am I saying? This or that season, season two specifically of the show. But overall, um, to set my baseline for, you know, going into our conversation about uh, season three, I would have to say that I do uh, overall or I did overall enjoy seasons one and two with season two being a little bit more on the weaker side, but enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah. And just to kind of go off of that a little bit, I do agree about the, I mean, the character dynamics and the stories of these, these boys and these characters together is what really makes it special and stand out because of how they do it. And I think that's why it was, it was interesting because season two, obviously we have 11 kind of for the most part, separated from everybody else and then but you have will back with the other boys so it was kind of like it was great because i loved seeing will in his you know i'm a kid with the rest of my friends dynamic that they did i thought that was great but i did kind of miss the fact that 11 was with them so it was kind of like a give and take in that way but i think you're right and it's because of the fact that it's these relationships and these characters relationships with each other that makes it so great and so that's why, even though what they did with her storyline and, you know, certain choices they made with her, they weren't bad. It was just that I thought it was a bit of a bummer when, you know, she wasn't really with the rest of the group until maybe a, a, an episode or two before the ending in season two. So, yeah, I do agree with that. But I did like the fact that Will was a more uh, primary character in a sense in the second season. And I kind of think he owned it. Like, I think he did a great job being who he was in season two, because in the first season, I think Mike of the boys, at least Mike was a standout in my opinion. I thought he was kind of like the protagonist character that you um, really root for. I mean, you root for all of them, but you just feel like he's kind of like the leader of the group. And he's the, you feel like he's a little bit more focused on in the first season and he's so great at it. And he was a, he's, he's a favorite of mine throughout the whole series, but I think Will just did such a good job. Who is Noah Schnapp, I believe is his name. He did such a great job. Um, in his role and his performance was really kind of off the charts, I think, in season two. So, yeah, it was kind of like there were elements that were better from season two in certain characters, but there were some things overall, like you were saying, that I'm like, I just like the character stories and how it developed and the importance that they showed of that in the first season. Yeah. And, um, and just to kind of talk about season two and maybe what just some of those things that stood out to me, uh, I definitely agree with what you're saying about Will. I thought that he definitely was a standout character in season two. And, and, and that's the thing about it is that th there are just some standout moments in season two. And maybe that's why I feel it's a little more comparable. Th 
there were just some scenes where some of these actors really just got to flex some muscles like but but will is definitely one that stands out to me especially that scene where um that uh where where he's like almost on the ground convulsing and everybody is like will what's going on and like the look on his the actor's face and his expressions and the way that he was kind of expressing what was happening to him on the inside man that was a great scene and i believe that episode ended with you just seeing that look in his face and i mean godly man that was like crushing man like like that 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 child actor really just did an awesome job noah i mean he really did kill it in season two and then there were just some interesting dynamics that i thought were a treat that i didn't think i was gonna get like i like the hopper 11 dynamic in season yes. two like that was the clash of the titans man like you had that. You you had the the person who was the most powerful of the the youth the kids against kind of our powerful male hero in Hopper the adult in Hopper so them coming together and the back and forth and Hopper trying to figure this thing out and trying to keep her safe I loved all of that shit like even though Eleven wasn't with the kids. I think what they got, the scenes that they got to do, the, the the scenes that she got to do with Hop, I really liked all of that. I thought all of that was great. Um, I, I even thought that little road trip that she took, where she met that other girl with the other with other powers and stuff like that. I was I was feeling all that as she went all kind of like a gothic 11 almost and, you know, almost became bad and then kind of had to realize and get away from that or whatever as the story went and progressed. But, you know, all of that was a welcome change. I, I liked all of those things. I like kind of some of the chances they took with it. And like I said, I like the Bob character. You know, I saw a lot of me in him. You know, he's nerdy and he's kind of a dork and stuff like that. But, you know, he's a good person at heart and he's a good, you know, I just... I just felt I just really liked that character. And then, like I said, I liked Billy and Maxine and that whole dynamic. And then when Eleven got back and she thought that maybe Mike was kind of feeling Maxine and there was kind of a little bit of tension there. Like, you know, the, 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 there were some good things that happened in season two. And I think that with the characters, uh you know, with the characters kind of growing up a little more and Will being back into the fold, I think there was enough different dynamics for season two to be very intriguing. Though the reason why I think I'm kind of thinking season one is superior is just that I think the sense of urgency with Will being missing and Will being gone, I think that sense of urgency and the worried mother and everything going on there, uh, I think that uh, that was one staple thing that was lost in the second season because you were just worried that this kid wasn't going to be found and they did some twists and turns, that body was found and stuff like that. Like, I do feel that the story overall was definitely more intriguing 
in season one. And, and I think, you know, you you probably in so many words were saying that as well, Sterling. But season two definitely has some memorable moments for me. So maybe that's why I think it's closer than you. But I but I totally get where you're coming from with that, though. Well, especially like to just kind of refine what I've said a little bit. Um, My issue with it is, is the fact that like it felt like they had to sacrifice growing the the relationships that we've already seen on screen to to introduce new ones and i don't feel like that was necessary like that was necessary like you didn't have to sacrifice 11 and the kids the whole time to have the development between her and hopper or to reintegrate will into the group for the first time for us because what outside of the first episode of season one we hadn't seen him in the group right you know or to introduce maxine into the group and stuff like that i don't feel like you had to sacrifice a lot of what we've seen and what was so magical about the first season as much as they did you know that's what i guess bothered me the most about season two is to to, to show these new relationships they really had to take away a lot of what we got in the first season yeah i mean even when it came to dustin you know dustin was kind of separate for the from the group for a lot of season two also although him and steve dynamic is great but yeah i i totally get what you mean yes but but that's still that that, that, that plays exactly in what i'm saying though you didn't have to sacrifice dustin in the group just to develop dustin and steve right yeah, that's a really good way to put it, because that that's absolutely what they did with it. Yeah, for sure. For all of the relationships, it seems like. Exactly. And like I said, there's a specific aspect about season three that I feel like plays into my conver- or plays into my point with this, but I don't want to spoil how it does quite yet. So let's move on. Let's talk about season three. Let's quit beating around the bush. Let's go into the main topic with this. Heather, what did you like about season three? So the thing I really enjoyed most about season three, or one of the things, is the growth of the kids and their friendship. And while, yes, there are those dynamics that are a little bit different still, just the accuracy, I feel like, of what it would have been like to be you know, teenage boys growing up. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not a teenage boy. You guys could probably speak to that a little bit more than I could. But I just feel like it was very accurate to, you know, they're teenagers and they're growing up and some of them are becoming a little bit like, you know, getting some attitude and just really, you know, trying to be adults when they're not and all these things. And um, I just I thought it was very accurate to the growing pains in a sense of, you know, like some of them are they're they want to be older and they're grown up and they're all about girls and then some of them aren't. And so it's just like it was really I feel like it was very accurate to an actual group of kids growing up together, you know, and I really appreciated that they did that. And um I liked again that you get to see Hopper and Eleven a little bit more, him being that dad role, and he does it so well. You know, he's like the protective father, and it's just so funny to see it because you really know, like, they love each other. You could tell how much they care for each other in that relationship as father daughter, you know, and um, I just, I thought it was so great. And you just, you don't get a lot of the moments of the two of them together, but you do get that. And just being able to see her even becoming more like a normal teenage girl. She's got, you know, she's fighting with her dad about the boy in her room and she's making other friends that, you know, she she's going out to the mall, she's creating her own style. 
she's actually feeling a little bit more normal with the rest of the group now. And I thought that that was a really great thing to do as well. Because you can just see the development from season one to now and just how much more comfortable she is in her own skin and just feeling more like this is her family and this is her home and just wanting to be a normal teenage girl. So I thought that that was a really great uh, character development for Eleven. And I did... I liked the continued relationship between Steve and Dustin um, into a little bit more of that later on my um, other side of it as well, though. But... Yeah, I did think that that was um, that that was a good dynamic, and even just the realistic aspects of certain characters. Like you never see Nancy and Steve really at all on screen together, unless until the very end. Because why would they be? Their relationship is over. They don't talk to each other. They don't see each other. You know that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, that's realistic, I think. And the fact that he didn't go off to college, you know, he decided to stay and. He needed to make money and these things where it's like, these are real life situations. Like sometimes that happens. And I like that they gave those uh, real life examples in these characters that we already feel like we sort of relate to in some ways. And I thought that was really well done. Um, I did also like the, um, the, I liked (laughs) Billy's character, you know, he's a little bit interesting in general from season two. Obviously he was not the greatest guy, but um, and, you know, he's he's the one that's sort of the primary villain in this season. But I really, really liked the unexpected turn that they took with him towards the end. I liked that we got to see more of his backstory and see more why he is the way that he is and all of these things. And even the whole why um, why he's always going after older women. And it's like that whole, you know, wanting the mom's approval type of thing, you know, just like the psychology aspect of why he is the way that he is. And I loved how they did it. And I just love that, you know, we get to see it as insiders, the audience watching it. He doesn't reveal it to people. I don't even know if his own sister, Max, knew about, you know, these memories or these feelings or any of that. um, Because there's a very strange relationship. But Eleven, of all people, is the one that gets to see that. And she's probably the most compassionate of all of them. And so I just think it was really cool that she's the one that was allowed to kind of see that, uh, given her abilities and everything. And I just love that unexpected turn of like, she's the one person that was able to get through to him as a human being. And because of that, he felt compassion for her and he felt a connection with her. And he ended up saving her and sacrificing himself to save her. And I thought that that was a really unexpected turn, but a really great one. And totally redeemed his character. I mean, beyond Steve's redemption from season one to now, (laughs) it's like the greatest, you know, redeeming character that had the most redemption in his storyline and even though he was the villain throughout most of it i just love what they did at the end there where it's really like actually he kind of in a sense saved saved everyone because he saved 11 you know so i i loved that they did that twist um, i thought it was well done i wasn't sure how that storyline was going to go and i honestly thought as soon as the uh the monsters took billy i thought he was dead after the first episode or the second one whenever it was that they took him I thought he was done. I thought he was gone and he wasn't... I thought it was going to be like a Barb situation where they're like, oh, he's been missing for several days and they spend half the season looking for him or something. But they didn't do that. And I'm glad because they didn't go to the same pattern of what they've done before. Like we've talked about in a few of these other episodes lately where it's like you're doing the same story and you're just repackaging it. They didn't do that. And I appreciate that they didn't do that. And I also like 
Hopper and what is uh, Judith? Winona Ryder's character. Um, was it Judith? I think it was Judith. Um, whatever her name is. I liked their chemistry in this season too because obviously there's that unspoken thing that they have for each other that never got to develop into anything so i do like that they sort of played with that idea a little bit they didn't go overboard or anything like that but it kind of left you with like this hopeful thing that eventually it's something that they want to happen in the show or with the characters um so i really i liked how they developed the two of them becoming closer and kind of being those friends that can talk to each other about their kids now because he's a dad so that was really great too so like we were saying before it really is about these characters and their stories and connections with each other and they did that again well here while they did also you know, connect different characters and did also, again, sacrifice certain character dynamics to develop other ones more. They did still do those developments well, at least in a sense, they mostly paid off. So, um, yeah, I mean, I overall thought it was a great season. At first, I was kind of like weary. I was kind of like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what direction this is taking and I don't know what they're going to do with it. But overall, it's still a really great season. And if I'm just... This also might be a day-by-day thing, but for me, I feel like... I I think I like it better than season two. Maybe not season one, but I think I like it better than season two. Um, But yeah, it's it's so great. And just the... They do a perfect balance of the emotional, dramatic parts of it, but the really funny bits. Um, There was a couple of inconsistencies with it, which I'll get to later. But I mean, just they have every emotion. They have the action, the horror, the funny, the... um, the romance, they have all of it in this show and they all are done very well. So it was still a great season. And her name was Joyce. Joyce. Yes. My bad. Yeah. Joyce. Yes. Joyce. Justin, your turn. Likes of season three. Yes. So overall, um, I did enjoy season three. Um, I do think, however, it's probably the weakest of the of the three. I, I do think that that is fair to say. But 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 again, the, these are all good seasons to me. So, uh, you know, it ain't by much, but I do feel overall this was the weakest one. I, I didn't uh, overall feel as invested, but I was very much um, invested nonetheless. Um, uh, again, like like we have said, so many times and what Sterling was kind of hinting to also the the one of the best things about Stranger Things writing is that they the, like Sterling said they love to start with the cliche but then as the story progresses and they unravel a character or they unravel some things that are going on suddenly that cliche becomes something that you didn't expect or that trope becomes something a little bit more than was than what was there on the surface and 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 that really is the best thing about stranger things um you know heather spoke in detail about billy's redemption and everything like that and i think that that is definitely an example of that or steve's redemption uh, in, in the earlier seasons, you know, them starting as one character and seeming like, okay, he's just that asshole character and then turn around and wind up actually being more than that. So even Billy, man, even Billy 
got got to be redeemed and stuff like that. And, and that was something that you didn't see coming. But, you know, that was one of the gifts that they gave you um, in this. And and kind of what Heather was saying, I liked seeing all of the children growing up. I liked seeing them as teens and facing these new challenges and different things like that. And, and, and those dynamics also affected the adults and their relationships with them also. So I think uh, all of that worked for me. And, and that's why, y- you know, I'm just so intrigued by these characters and things like that. I-, I never felt through any of the seasons that it was a necessity to keep certain characters together or a must that certain characters be kept uh, separate or anything like that. Uh, just because whether they were separate or together, man, you always seem to get some genuine scenes. You always seem to get something good, regardless of what the character was doing or who the character was with. And in season three, like the dynamic with David, uh, with David Harbour, Hopper and um, Eleven, it just shows up again. And now this time, you know, she's liking the boys and him trying to and they're all over each other. And, you know, Hopper like, man, what can I do about this? And I thought that that whole thing was kind of hilarious how he goes to Joyce and he's like, man, I don't, how do I handle this situation? And she's trying to give him these tips and say, you know, you just got to talk to him. And then of course, Hopper's like, all right, I'll take that advice. But Hopper is Hopper. So of course he doesn't really do things the way that uh, Joyce suggested that he do things. So that was kind of hilarious. And then even that on the surface seemed like an overprotective dad you know, being out of hand and stuff like that. And that kind of did set up kind of some drama and some conflict for, you know, Mike and uh, Eleven. But ultimately, his intentions and everything in that note come back full circle. And there's actually this genuine heartfelt moment that even came out of that. So even on the surface, like that's what they love to do with this. Nothing is what it seems on the surface most of the time when it comes to Stranger Things and its characters. And that's what I love about it. So even that situation that where you you may have looked at it and went, well, I don't know. I think Hopper's kind of in the wrong here. That was kind of messed up how he kind of did that to Mike and was kind of like, oh, you better, you know, stay keep away from her and all this stuff. And he kind of, you know, put those boundaries up. But then all of that kind of culminates into this genuine moment that I didn't think I was going to get when I got to the end of season three so even just little things like that man this show just has a way of surprising me with certain story elements where i think i know where it's going and then it just surprises me um and there were some other standout characters in this and i think that maybe this is one of the fewer times where i felt like the adults kind of killed in this you, you know, the, the, the first time where I kind of felt like the older characters, the more adult characters really showed up this time, uh, um, you know, and particularly that 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 scientist, that Russian scientist that um, that Hopper and Joyce had had kind of um, were with that whole time. And then that other character, that guy, um, 
the one who always just tells the truth, the 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 guy that 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 they were hiding with, and he always just tells the truth. And at the end, he's just telling them the truth about the fact that y'all have all these sexual feelings and y'all are not acknowledging them. That character, what's his <laughs> name? I am trying to remember who that is. Oh my gosh, what is his name? I should have. I should just pull it up. That's what's his name, Murray Murray Bauman. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, the one with the beard. Yes, Murray. Yes, the one with the beard that spoke Russian. I mean, I enjoyed that. You know, I really enjoyed a lot of that stuff, man. Them, Hopper, all of them together, and them bouncing back and forth and trying to figure out what it is and all that stuff. Uh, I, I I was entertained by a lot of that stuff, man. I thought that they all really showed up in this. Like, like those were some of my more favorite scenes um, where it was them interacting together and everything like that. Uh, you know, and then the whole thing where, um, you know, Hopper gives the, the scientists the keys and then they're like, he's going to leave. He's going to leave. And then Hopper's like, no, he's not because he's been compromised. He's going to come back. And that little back and forth and then them thinking he's going to leave and then he backs up and goes, yeah, you know, I probably am a dead man if I go back. You know, all of that stuff just worked for me. I kind of really appreciated the adults in this. Um, and yeah, the dynamic with Steve and Dustin, I, I really like those two together. So I feel like, you know, I, I appreciated them even more in this. When they finally got together, all that was gold, man. All of that in them and trying to infiltrate the Russian underground facility under the mall and all of that and robin that character i like that character too she was a welcome yeah. addition to me i really like that character and again like i said before they show you something on the surface and then it winds up being something else. And I think that the scene with Steve and her when they were in the bathroom stall and they were talking, that is one to me that that, that was one of the better scenes of this season. That was another standout scene to me where, you know, Steve is kind of realizing that, man, you know, maybe I should have been going after this girl. You know, maybe it's this girl. And I think the audience, too, the way they were developing it, the, we're all kind of feeling the same way. Okay, these guys are going to get together. And then they kind of, you know, uh, drop that bomb on you where it's kind of like, well, she's a lesbian. And actually, she was crushing on somebody who was crushing on Steve. And that's why she was obsessed with him because she was like, man, I can't get closer to this girl because of you. But I could never understand what she saw in you. So it's crazy how like, even though we know Steve is not that character anymore, even back then, you know, he was that person. He was that asshole. He was that douchebag for somebody else. But even then, I just like the surprise in that. Oh, she's actually a lesbian. So like, you know, you you didn't. And, and, that, and then him kind of being like, oh, and having that light bulb moment. And it was like, damn, OK. All right. That's who she is. Now we know who she actually is and really is. So I thought all that was cool. You know, again, showing you something that on the surface looks like, OK, these guys are going to wind up together. Then it just winds up being something else. But, you know, I don't think it took away from anything. It was nice. I like the dynamic with those two. Uh, and all of that was cool. Um, and being kind of the uh, um, s some of the more like nostal uh, other than nostalgic things that were in this, like like that one Russian guy, you know, the 
um, the, 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 the unrelenting one that just kept coming after Hopper and all of them, that dude, he almost kind of reminded me of like a Terminator or something like that, how he just kept coming and kept coming. Like, I really feel like there was some nods to that in the way he was coming after them and they were running from him. And then it just seemed like he was inescapable and they couldn't escape him, you know, and, and I liked some of the choreography and the fights that him and Hopper had, you know, I liked all of that. I was, I, I was feeling all of that. So I definitely think that season three is good. Um, you know, it, it's a good season, very solid, you know, overall I did enjoy it, but uh, to me, I think that those were some of the standout things were some of the things with the adults, um, and also just that dynamic with the Robin character and then uh, Steve that I talked about were just some really big, big things that I liked. Oh, and lastly, the last thing I'll say is 11 in this. My God, was 11 was so freaking badass. I mean, she's badass in the other ones, but I loved her in this. Those scenes where she saves everybody in the nick of time and she's throwing the mind flayer up against walls and slamming him and stuff like that. Or like that scene where the mind flayer is at um uh, Hopper's cabin. They're in Hopper's cabin and all those arms are coming for him. And then she's stopping all the arms and like trying to hold them back and stuff. And then that part where she splits the mind flayer open and it allows them to escape. Man, they really gave Eleven a lot of great, just powerful scenes. And all I could sit and think watching all those scenes with her and how awesome she was and how they really showcased her powers in this, uh, which is one of the strongest things about this season. All I kept thinking was, you know, I have to sit through this Dark Phoenix movie with one of the most iconic, <laughs> like, tele, you know, one of the most iconic psionic power users in Jean Grey. And how did they fail to make her so uninteresting, but then this little girl, this 11, with similar psionic powers is just a total freaking badass. And it just made me even that much more angry about the X-Men movies because I was just like, why couldn't they do this with Jean Grey? Why isn't this Jean Grey? Like, why isn't, why am I not having these same feelings about a character I've known way longer than this? It, you know, three seasons and they got me to care more about this character than I ever did Jean Grey in any of those movies. But anyway, I digress. Uh, that was just a thought I had watching it. But yeah, those would wrap up uh, most of my likes for season three. Oh my. Um, I do appreciate that you, um, you know, saw the Rus Russian as Terminator when that was obviously what they were going for. I do appreciate that. Um, but no, I, I, I do agree with you guys uh, on a lot of the stuff in this. Um, you know, I do want to mention something you just mentioned just a second ago, Justin, with that whole scene with uh, Robin and Steve in the bathroom. Um, just the way that they filmed that and portrayed it and everything like that was probably it's, it was just a genuinely heartfelt and amazingly written and well acted scene. Um, but when it comes to a lot of the stuff with season three, I, I mean, I guess I'll go ahead and say it. I, I disagree with you, Justin. I think that season three is leaps and bounds better than season two for the sheer fact that while they do rely a little bit more on the relationships from season two, I felt like this showed how you can keep 
the developed friendships and the developed relationships whilst introducing new characters. I mean, I do think it's weird that, you know, once again, they decide to just say, fuck it. And, you know, just excommunicate Dustin from the group again for most of the fucking season. But since they had already developed that relationship with Steve in season two, at least they did so whilst keeping that relationship whole. You know, they did that for the sake of that relationship. You know, it's not a free pass, but at least they didn't just force it into another one. So while they still had the bedrock of the Dustin and Steve relationship, you were able to add what Lucas's little sister and Robin into that mix to where they were using the existing character relationships to then build into another small group that wasn't necessarily meant to compete with the main group or anything like that, but just to develop some of the ancillary connections, you know, and like they were able to really, you know, fully integrate Max into the group a little bit more with that with Eleven also, you know, they were able to mix both of them in the group together. They were able to bring Nancy and Jonathan back into the fold of the main group again, you know, hearkening back a little bit to season uh, one. A little more and stuff like that so i think that's what i appreciated about season three especially over season two is the fact that they didn't destroy like or want to destroy or separate all the relationships just for the sake of like building new ones they they figured out a better way to add in new characters whilst not undoing everything the entire time you know so that ended up feeling like a lot more akin to season one you know it's more than you know season two especially you finally got to see the group dynamic last for more of a season you know like a full group dynamic you know you got you got to see 11 in the in the group more you know with max and stuff like that with will too you know so you got will and 11 you know in combination and stuff like that so i really think that that was a smart way um of handling that uh I do agree with you guys about Billy. Uh, I thought I thought this guy did a really, really great job in this. And uh, once again, shout out to the just infinitely underrated Power Rangers reboot <laughs> because you've got Naomi Scott, the Pink Ranger, kicking ass in Aladdin and just stealing the show alongside Will Smith. And then you've got this boy, and I don't know how to say his name, but I think it's Darcy actually, or. Dacry or whatever the fuck this guy's name is, but he was the Red Ranger in the Power Rangers reboot. And this motherfucker shows up in Stranger Things, you know, in season two. And, you know, you get some darkness in him and stuff like that. And you, you get that bad boy and all this other stuff. But fuck, does he steal a lot yeah, of the fucking does. show in this one, too? You know, and so, yeah, like, you know, apparently they are rebooting the Power Rangers franchise again. And I say, fuck that. Give me a sequel to the second one because these fuckers can do it. Just give them a better chance. Because obviously they have some fucking talent in that group. You just got to keep rolling with it, man. Uh, but I digress. But no, I like I liked that they kind of expanded upon the Joyce Hopper relationship a little more from the first season. And I think maybe that's why I didn't like Bob. Uh, Yeah. Nerdy uh, Rudy as much is because it just felt like they wanted to add a character just so they could delay the relationship of Dennis or of, of Hopper and Joyce for another season or whatever. You know, it just felt like they did that and made it a placeholder just to develop like or just to delay it, you know, because for fuck knows. I don't know. I don't understand a lot of the reasons why they made 
the relationship choices they did in season two because it really did feel like they just delayed all the other relationships that they developed in season one just to, they delayed them just so they could just reintroduce them again in season three i just i can't get over that feeling especially like the more season three went on the only thing i mean the only true ones that like i really feel like that made it out of season two that were like good i mean with the exception of adding a new character i'm not going to count a max into something like this but like the 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 hopper 11 relationship and the you know steve and dustin relationship those are the only ones of pre-existing characters from season one that whose relationships like the relationship statuses and all this other stuff they built like matter in season two or matter in season three that they developed in season two all the other ones were just like throwaway shit you know um but i mean i think like especially for this being like a netflix tv show and it's not like i'm saying that netflix tv shows typically falter in this department but it just really kind of shows the dedication that netflix is showing this show is the special effects in this season were fucking fantastic i just never felt like the special effects were weak at any fucking point i mean any time they showed one of the alien or not alien the, the interdimensional demon characters or whatever like the mind flayer or the you know mind flayees or however the fuck you want to call it you know Anytime they showed one of those, it looked fucking good. And, you know, spoilers for the very end. There's like a post credit sequence, which it's weird doing a post credit sequence in like a fucking streaming show. But the Demigorgon that they show at the end of that. And if you read any articles and I did read some that call it, call it a Demi dog at the end. Fuck that. It actually stands up. It's a Demi Gorgon. It's not one of the Demi do uh, dogs from season two. This is a full fledged Demi Gorgon from season one. Not saying it's the same one. It's the same type of thing. Um, it looked a lot better in this season. Even I mean, it's on the screen for like what? 3.7 seconds, but it looked damn good. Not, and like, I'm not saying also that it looked bad in season one, but it looked super good. Um, I hate the fact, uh, well, no, I guess I shouldn't go into that yet. This is a dislike. So hold on, pause on that statement. Um, and I also like, I like Carrie, what, Carrie Yules as the mayor? Carrie Elwes? Yes. However the fuck you say that guy's last name. Um, you know, guy from Princess Bride, Robin Hood Men Tights, Saw, uh, you know, he's in a couple episodes of Psych. Um, he did such a good job as the mayor because that guy, for whatever reason, can be like this, like, like charming, sweep you off your feet, romantic guy. But then he can also be just a gigantic sleazeball. <laughs> yes. And he could do it with the same face. And it's completely believable both ways. Yeah. And he did such a fantastic job with that. Um, and going into what, like, Justin was saying with, like, familiarity. Ooh, see, maybe it's the Russians coming to attack my house because I was about to bring up the Russians. Um, I like the fact that they kind of tapped into the Cold War paranoia uh, of the 80s and added that nostalgia and that that cliche-ness from the 80s um, because it was realistic. I don't think it was a cliche or nostalgia to be so. It's just what from like the 60s to the 80s, th that was America's number one fucking concern was beating the Russians at everything. So, you know, while it's still in the 80s, of course, that's going to be the mentality, you know, that the ultimate bad guys are the fucking Russians, you know, for this season and stuff like that. Like, that's always going to be the thing in the 80s. So I appreciate that they tied it in in a nostalgic and cliche way, but it's still an authentic way, you know, and I, I, I really appreciated that aspect of it because it didn't feel it didn't feel recycled. It just feel like especially with that type of technology or ability that the U.S. was trying to gain in seasons one and two with opening the the gateway to the upside down it's like well of course the russians were doing the same thing in a different way like of course they were because that's all we ever did you know like you watch watch into what justin isn't it rocky four yep rocky four yeah 
So it's it's the same thing. Like, of course, the American, because it's an American film, you know, of course, the Americans just training extra hard and, you know, the Russian guys getting injected with steroids. They're both doing the same thing. You know, they're both getting beefed up and fight ready. They're just doing it in different ways. And that's essentially what they did here, you know, where the government was trying to use 11 to open the gateway and do all these other things to open up the gateway. The, you know, the Russians were using a, a beam cannon, you know, it's like tomato and tomato. It's every time the Russians or the, the Americans do something, the Russians are doing the reciprocal, but a little different or vice versa, you know, and that's just it feels accurate for that time frame. You know, it's like if you were going to have something based in the 40s, like the early 40s, and it was going to be like an international thing with some really bad people and you didn't have Nazis, it'd be a little weird. So if you're going to do something like this and have it be like an evil militant you know, government group that's going to do it and it's in the 80s and you don't want it to be the US this time, it's going to be the Russians. There's literally no other choice. And if you did make another choice, you're stupid because the Russian choice was sitting there and you obviously should have made it. So I really just, I, I, I can't stress how much I loved that choice with this. I mean, it's a slight tangent, but I promise it ties into it. My favorite Star Trek movie is An Undiscovered Country, which is six, which, you know, takes place in the 24th century and all this other stuff, but it plays out like a fucking Cold War whodunit thriller. But instead of it being Russians and Americans, it was Klingons and Starfleet. But it's that same mentality, you know. And so bringing that aspect of it into into Stranger Things, that Cold War espionage, you know, military spy shit like that's my jam. So I really, really loved that coming into this season. Um, I'm probably going to end it there. I think it's a good place to end it. My likes. Any other likes before we move on to dislikes? Um, No, I think. Oops, sorry. I think I'm good uh, as far as the likes, but you did kind of mention Caleb's sister. Uh, Yeah, she was another person who I think really showed up and stole some scenes and really had some uh, hilarious parts um, in in it, especially with Dustin. You know, I I was feeling those two together. So, yeah, just a shout out to her and that actress because I didn't see that coming at all. And she was actually kind of cool in this. She was kind of the breath of fresh air in this one, you know, I thought for sure, you know, I didn't know how she'd fit or even if she'd be a significant piece, but she wound up being actually pretty cool. So yeah, uh, a shout out to Caleb's sister. Erica. I couldn't remember her name either. Erica. Erica. Yes. Yes. Erica. Cool. So does anybody remember what I was saying that I said I'd hold off for the the dislike section? I honestly just don't actually remember what I was going to say or what I was like hinting at. Um, I'm trying to remember what you had said right before it. Yeah, no idea. Maybe I'll remember it later. But all right. So as far as dislikes go, like I kind of mentioned it in the like section a little bit. Quit fucking breaking up the main group just for the sake of fucking doing things. Dear God. Like, can we have a fucking episode or like, can we string together two episodes in a season since season one where you have the whole group together just once? Like it's with the first episode and the last episode is the only episodes these fucking kids are together. Like, come the fuck on, guys. Like, let's just do two episodes back to back before they splinter off and do all their separate things. Like, I understand a big part of this season was them doing the whole like, oh, we might have other, you know, things and other interests and other loves and all this other stuff. But 
you know, ultimately, you know, the group or the the D and D party, if you will, uh, will always stick together. That was also last season. Like they did the same thing last season with it. Like they all got mad at each other and like split up, and then they came back together. Like, get, all right, let's move on. Let's not have that be the dynamic every fucking season now. Like we don't need that 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 trope, that cliche of every time you've you've got a franchise or something like that that involves a team where the team's got to fall apart to come back together stronger every fucking movie or every season we don't need that all the time you can have them have conflict with each other and still not be oh we need to like break apart instantly every fucking time like they did again in this season like it's what the second episode Eleven's breaking up with Mike you know Dustin said fuck off and he's like because nobody wanted to sit around his fucking radio tower for 12 hours and, you know, and then nobody wants to play D&D with Will. So everybody's flipping out like that. All that was just so fucking much that I'm like, great. We're like two episodes in and the group split apart again and all this other shit. Like the only one of those that felt re- like realistic, if you will. Like, all right. I understand Mike's reasonings for kind of like blowing off 11 a little bit you know like or ghosting her because you know he got threatened by hopper so i get that but the one as far as the actual interrelationships between the kids go that made sense to me was wills like will kind of being upset that they don't want to play D with him and all this other stuff were like felt real because i know there's a big theory online that a lot of people are thinking that the will uh that the Will character's gay and he doesn't know how to come out to his friends and all this stuff because it's the 80s and stuff like that. And that's not the vibe I got from him. I kind of see where they, you know, they're doing where they get that from, you know, but it felt a little shoehorned to me because to me, he actually feels the reason why he was kind of uncomfortable with like Lucas and them talking about the relationships and stuff like that wasn't because, you know, he can't relate because he's, you know, homosexual instead of you know like them talking about their girlfriends to me i feel like he's actually uncomfortable with it because he's a little bit asexual and i don't think he's asexual as just necessarily a character choice or anything like that i think he's asexual because of all the group he's not to that step in his life you know he'd rather it just be him and the boys playing D D right now instead of like going out and finding a girlfriend he's just not to that point in his you know maturation process or whatever to where, you know, the idea of having a romantic partner is something that is a part of his mindset. And I'm not saying that he's an immature character or anything like that, because he's he's a very smart and very developed kid. It's just that mentality of it all. That's what I felt during those scenes is that, you know, he, he that's why he was uncomfortable with it and stuff like that. And I also think part of it is because like, damn, like the kid lost like what, three, four, nine, however months or whatever, however the fuck long he was in the upside down. I know it wasn't nine months, but like it was a fucking long time. There's going to be like a recovery period afterwards. I mean, like the kid was out of the fucking world, literally out of our fucking world for a long time. So like. There's a lot of other aspects that he's like kind of behind on. Yeah. And and just like the PTSD element of it all. You know, he spent months in the, the or you know, I don't know, it could have been six hours. I don't fucking know how long season one actually lasted. But he spent so long in the upside down and then he gets back and he thinks everything's normal. And then he realizes that he's like corrupted and tainted and by the mind flayer. So then once again, he's losing an entire section of his life, you know. So he's he's going through all this He's gone through all this stuff that I feel that it makes sense that he's not wanting it to necessarily change because he's lost so much 
of his own life at such a young age. And so it's just that's that's my thought process behind it all. If it turns out in the character is gay or whatever, that's fine, too. I mean, they can do whatever the fuck they want. You know, that also would not surprise me based on how they play that scene. It's just I'm just saying my impressions of that scene. And it's once again. And the reason why I bring that up is because, like I said, that's the only natural reaction I felt to all that stuff. Like, should Dustin really be upset that he's been gone for like a couple of weeks at camp or whatever? And the first thing he wants to do is build a radio tower and his friends don't want to hang out at a radio tower all night. Like, come on, that's a little fucking extreme there, you know. But then he doesn't get mad at Steve for the same thing. It's not like he goes, Steve, let's go hang out here. Steve's like, bro, I don't want to do that. And he's like, no, nobody gets me, Steve. Like, no, he just goes and does his the regular shit he does with Steve instantly. So why can't he do the same thing with his regular group of friends? I feel like a very artificial way of forcing them apart. And I just really hope that when it comes to season four, they just don't do that again. And or if they do, just keep it minimal. You, we don't have to just do it just for the sake of fucking doing it every time. You know, I think while they were doing two separate missions and stuff like that, I felt like that was a little weird that like, why would Dustin not tell his friends that he, you know, found a Russian code? Or why wouldn't they feel the need to tell Dustin, oh, the Mind Flayer's back? Like it just instantly like nobody at any point was like, oh, man, we should check on Dustin just in case because the mind flayers back. Like I get this isn't now and there's no cell phones or anything like that. But like, fuck, they didn't even try to like reach him on his fucking house phone at any given point. And another thing, I don't know about any of our listeners out there and I don't necessarily know about you two either. But if I was like 10 years old, I couldn't be gone from my house from for like 24 hours like yep. these kids are and no one say a fucking thing like they're really taking the whole like oh kids used to go out and play thing a little extreme in this because these kids are gone for days and nobody says a damn thing like why wasn't little lucas sister what's what did you say her name was erica why weren't there police out there looking for her she's a 10 year old girl that admitted she had been gone for at least 24 hours right and not a single police officer looking for her. like that is just extreme bonkersness. I know we all used to like fucking go around and play outside for like, you know, hours, but you would always go home when it was like dark, you know, or at least when it was dark, you, your parents would have to specifically kind of know where you were at that time. You know, it wouldn't just be like, oh, I'll be riding my bike around the neighborhood while it's dark. It'd be like, oh, I'm at Billy's because it's dark. You know, you'd be at a specific place then daylight hours. Sure. Whatever. Ride your bike around the neighborhood. You know, don't show up for five hours. No one gives a fuck. But these parents are the most lackadaisical and like, you know, not paying attention to shit parents ever. Yep. And it just makes no sense to me. Like, especially with how they portrayed things in season one, you know, like season one, Will's gone for like, what, six minutes. And they're freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. And there's police involved and all this other shit. And all the other parents are like, oh, my God, what if that happened to our kids? He's been gone for six fucking minutes. Our kids could be gone, too. Like, everybody's flipping out. Like, in this, I don't know, they're fucking gone from the house for, like, what, 67 days or however fucking long the season takes place. No one bats an eye. No one. And it just, it, it, anytime those things happen, like, whenever they run into Nancy and Mike's parents at the fair, and they're like, I don't know, they're at Lucas's or, or you know, or Will's or, you know, like, they're just like, I don't know, yeah. they're somewhere. Boys will be boys. Like, yeah, like, totally. Wow. Like, that really, really just kind of takes you out of it. 
like for a second i'm like ooh, what kind of fucking parents acted like that so even in the 80s like because the 80s were like the prime time of like it's 10 o'clock at night do you know where your kids there are and like parents would flip the fuck out like they knew where their kids were because they just put them to bed but like the news would come on and they'd give them some frightening shit like that and they would have to run into their kid's bedroom just to check again like this was the prime time shit like that like this was also the time of the the big uh satanic panic you know where a bunch of kids or a bunch of kids parents in california thought that they're like daycare center was run by satanists and so like there's this huge investigation and all this other shit all for bullshit fake reasons you know there's these mass panic fears like that's really when that kind of overly panicky parental style really kind of emerged was in the 80s and stuff like that and you couldn't tell in hawkins in hawkins it, they it feels like that if they see their kid once a day they're fucking inconvenienced and i know i've been harping on this for a long time it's just every time something like that happened it really kind of took me out of things like that entire time that joyce and hopper are gone and like they only try to contact the kids like once or twice until they like joyce is like oh no we need to go the russians are there now trying to open up the gateway to the upside down that then they decide to rush back and i'm like neither one of them are worried about 11 or will at any given point now all of a sudden like i said really just really took me out of being completely immersed in this season when those happened because it just felt truly just fake for the sake of story and it 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 kind of like i said it it took me out of the 80s it didn't feel like the 80s when they did stuff like that and that's that's all i'm gonna harp on for now i'm sure i've got other things i might come back to it's just I feel like I've been kind of ranting on that. And after I did my midsummer rant, I'm I'm a little ranted out, guys. I don't know if I, I have the rant endurance that I had. I, that was that was a marathon, ran a marathon, you know, so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to rest up a little bit this week. Justin, take it away. What did you not like about season three? OK, and and, and just kind of some of those things that uh, y- y- you were saying are some of the reasons why I do feel that overall this is the 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 weakest of the seasons. Like, I, I think in a lot of ways, overall, it was just kind of story stuff, like what you were talking about. Some of these conflicts and some of these things happening, I, I just, it was just a little bit hard for me to suspend my belief for everything. These kids taking down these, you know, infiltrating, taking down these Russians and running away from people with guns and surviving and, you, you know, the, the, without and without Eleven even being there, like there were just some things that kind of happened, like the whole Russian thing. I guess I didn't appreciate that as much as you guys. Like, like, like I just kind of felt like that just felt it, it, it felt cliche, but I don't know if enough was done to circumvent it beyond the cliches. I mean, you just kind of knew where that was going. You just knew what was going to happen. You knew that machine was going to get destroyed or blow up. You knew that it was going to uh, you, you just kind of knew where all of that was going. And, you know, I just we've just seen that so much with the evil Russians and stuff like that. So I just really I get it. You know, it's the 80s and stuff like that. But normally they have a way of taking some of those 80s tropes and then making them feel fresh in some ways. 
I don't think any of that felt fresh to me. That all felt very kind of just familiar and predictable. Uh, and then I don't know if all of this ultimately culminated well. Like it felt like, and yes, I get that everybody was kind of that, that the groups were on their sort of separate missions, but some of that f stuff felt so disjointed and disconnected from, uh, you know, everything else that was going on. Like, like it just seemed weird that the mind flayer was, you know, they kind of did this thing where, oh, it's after L, the target is L. So he was going after them. And then you have them over here battling the Russians. And then, I mean, even though it all came together with when they blew up the beam and everything like that, then that affected the mind flare. I don't know, something about that. It just didn't feel like it culminated as smoothly or as well as seasons one or two. I felt like by the time we got to the end of season one, especially season one, and then also season two, I felt like all of that culminated a little bit better. And it seemed like everybody kind of was, by the end, everybody had the common goal and everybody was kind of doing this one thing. And it just felt like a more, um, the culmination felt better. It felt smoother. This, it almost still kind of felt like everybody was just kind of, the groups were doing separate things. And I don't know if it really all flowed together like it did in season one or season two. So those were definitely some things. And then just some of the, you, you know, just some of the little conflicts in here, um, like, uh, oh my God, the character, her name escapes me. I'm going to have to look her up because it's important to get her right. Okay. So like Nancy's character, the, the, the stuff, you know, with the newsroom and the guys who weren't believing the story and stuff like that. And then, you know, her and, um, her and Jonathan working at the same job and th them kind of going through that. I, I don't know if I liked any of that. Like, I get that, uh, got, you know, men at that time were, you know, chauvinistic and, uh, uh, you know, all of that. I totally get all of that. And I'm sure it would have been, I could totally see some of that happening in the eighties or anything like that. But this, season definitely had a lot of characters that were just seemingly no redeemable qualities. You, you know, that those kinds of things just always stick out like a sore thumb to me. So some of that stuff, I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, I was riding with it, but I really just wasn't. And then they kind of got mad at each other. And I, and that felt kind of manufactured to me because then they kind of had a talk and then that was over with. And it was kind of like, oh, okay. So, you, you know, that, that just didn't really land much with me. And there was a, a bunch of kind of different things like that. And, and you know, you guys talked about uh, some of those things. Uh, and, and I don't need to repeat all those things, but I felt the same way about the whole Dustin situation. Well, they didn't want to be out here hanging out with me trying to get, Get, get in touch with Susie. So I'm going to be mad about that. You, you know, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if he would have been that pissed off or if that would, 
was a big enough conflict to have them kind of not communicating or anything like that. And that's just what I felt like. I just don't feel overall this was as sharp. It's kind of one of those things where it had some great moments. Like the we talked about the bathroom scene. We talked about some of the stuff with Eleven. I think that as far as scenes with her doing badass stuff, these were some of the most badass scenes. I like that redemption story for Billy and stuff like that. Um, um, and then I don't know. And then at the end, I think maybe we should have just killed one character instead of two. Maybe I think that was a little much too. like when we get to the end and then, you know, um, Billy dies and then Hop goes too. And so you got two people and I don't know. It always feels like when that happens, sometimes it's a tough to balance both of those kinds of tragic things and stuff like that. So I don't know if all of that landed for me either. Like I was, I was sad. I definitely felt it. And there was like that heartwarming letter and stuff like that from, uh, um, Hopper at the end. And, and that was good. I, I didn't dislike any of that, but I don't know. I feel like you killed two and then it just kind of, so you couldn't really like process both of those. There wasn't enough time given to, to really like absorb both of those and feel both of those, especially since we learned so much about Billy in those moments and got to see his memories and stuff like that. But I felt like that almost took a back seat because then we killed Hop. Uh, at the end of it. So I, I just thought that two was way more effective with the one Bob death because it was heroic and it was definitive and it was just, you know, that was the one that we got. So that was the one we could kind of focus on. And when it ended, you know, you could really feel that and feel the other characters connection with that character and stuff like that. This one, I don't think it landed as strong killing two characters like that. So, you know, so, so those would be a few things. I think really overall it's just some narrative things and it's just a certain things. You know, I just felt it a little bit hard to suspend all of my belief for the Russian infiltration and the kids versus the Russian stuff. Uh, ju just couldn't quite, uh, feel all of that as much as I wanted to. Uh, but, but overall, like I said, still a very enjoyable season, but again, just not quite as sharp narratively as the other two, in my opinion. Yeah, I get that. Um, one thing, and I'm sorry, Heather, Justin just reminded me of what I was going to say that I forgot about. They also need to calm down with the 11 gets a nosebleed every time she fucking uses her power thing. <laughs> Like it made sense a little bit in the first movie because as she started using her powers more and stuff like that, it was like the more she exerted herself, her nose would bleed. And like, it feels like even still, like if she just uses her powers for 30 seconds, it's instant nosebleed. Like it just, it doesn't feel right with that. It feels like, you know, it really should be like just doing menial things that she does with her powers should no longer tax her body like that. You know, it's like it's like in the what X-Men first class, like the more you work out the muscle, you know, the better it is, the stronger it is. So I just feel like that's a little weird that no matter what, it's constantly a nosebleed, especially because it's always the left nostril. Like, <laughs> why does her right nostril never bleed? It's always and it's always the same amount. It's always just a little trickle every time. Although I do have a question for you, Sterling, on that. 
Do you think maybe part of it is because clearly by the end of this, she's kind of losing her powers a little bit? Maybe so it's kind of exerting her more because she has to put more energy because she is actually losing her powers? Well, I don't think she was losing her powers through the beginning of the season. Yeah. I think she just lost her powers because of the whole infection from the mind sl- uh, flare slug. Oh, okay. Because that's the point whenever it went bad. Okay, yeah, I guess that's true. You know, and they always said like what in the first season or whatever, it's like, oh, you have to recharge your batteries. Right. You know, and stuff like that. And, you know, she's obviously at the point now to where she can use her powers a little bit more full force for longer periods of time. So her battery is obviously grown. You know, she doesn't get as depleted as quickly as she used to. So then why is the nosebleed just a constant fucking thing? And like I said, it's always just the trickle on the left side when she uses it even more and more and more. It's not like more and more blood comes out. It's always just a trickle every time. It's always like the same amount of blood, no matter how much she uses her powers, you know. And when they were doing that whole thing where she's like bouncing around looking for Billy and all this other stuff and like it took a long time. Yeah, they had like that pile of bloody tissues next to her. But like like I said, it just it felt that feels a little weird to me. And I feel like the you know, they should just con- calm that down a little bit. Like at a certain point, her body should be adapted to this because I don't feel like her sister did that when she used her powers in season two. Yeah. I don't remember that episode that much. I just don't remember it being as constant as they showed in this season. Like, because it, it felt like every other fucking time Eleven was on screen, she had a bloody nose. And it just got a little tiresome by the end of it. All right, that's it. That's I just remembered that, so I wanted to get it off my chest. Heather, what did you not like about season three? Real quick before I get into my dislikes, because I did actually forget to mention this in my likes. I did like Robin's character. I thought she was a great addition. And I think that her and Steve's chemistry was really great. And fun fact about Robin, because I didn't know this till recently, that is actually Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that was just me that didn't know that. But yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Anyways. um, Oh, no, Justin. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No. He's so Sorry, shocked. I was that he talking can't and speak. it was on mute. Yes. <laughs> no, I didn't know that. So actually, that's uh, that's kind of awesome. Cool. Very fun fact. Well, I knew it. And that's all that really matters. Oh, okay. Anyways, all right. So on to my dislikes. I think this one had some tone inconsistencies more than the other seasons did. Um, which as I get into a couple more things, I will, you know, you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. But just overall, I just feel like any any tension or any suspense that was really built up, they kind of broke it up in a strange way with like the comedic timing and the whatever on it, because, um, you know, it's, I mean, it is a funny show, but I just feel like they, there were opportunities that they used it where they shouldn't have and vice versa. So I don't know. I just feel like there were some inconsistencies with that. My first thing that I wasn't a fan of really is um, Mike's attitude pretty much throughout most of the season. And like I said, Mike is uh, one of my favorite characters in the show. But man, was he just like this brooding, like attitude kid this season, like, especially when, you know, he's trying to spend time with Eleven and I get it. That's his girlfriend and she's around now and he knows that she's alive and well and whatever. So he wants to spend all of his time with her. It's the puppy love stage and all that. But I mean, just like how he was with Hopper in that whole thing, just very disrespectful and like making wisecracks when he's trying to be real serious about it. And I'm like, when did he suddenly become that guy that disrespected Hopper? You know what I mean? Like it just didn't feel like something that he would have done to that character, especially through all they had been through and all these things. I just feel like that was not a really solid character choice that they made with that, you know, and he's, he's just so like, he has the nerve to be, like upset at Hopper 
for telling him like, you know, watch out how much you're around my daughter or even just saying like, hey, keep your the door open while you guys are hanging out. Like he's so disrespectful about it. And I'm like, first of all, this is the chief of police. So I just feel like, <laughs> why are you going to be like that with him? I feel like any other teenage kid who's dating the chief's daughter is going to just be like, yes, sir, whatever you want. That's cool. But he's just kind of like, whatever, you're ridiculous. And just really disgruntled or whatever about it. He has the audacity to be like upset at him and annoyed with him and indignant. And I'm just kind of like, that doesn't make sense. So I was like, get over yourself, Mike, because, you know, he is the parent. And he was kind of the only parent present because as Sterling was saying, exactly the point that I was going to make too, like pretty much dead on what you were saying, because it's like, where were all these other parents so dismissive and so just like unconcerned with what was going on, especially considering what happened in the first few seasons? You're like, okay, um, so there was a huge monster attack. There was a huge, you know, there were kids abducted and people died. So I'm just not going to care now what my kids are doing. Instead, like I would be the overprotective parent who's like, no, I'm going to keep a, a harder watch on you now <laughs> because this is crazy. So I just thought that, that was a little bit inconsistent and weird that they didn't have parents that were really present except for Hopper. So, um, but yeah, so I just kind of like, I was a little bit more annoyed with Mike this season than I wanted to be. And I get that he's just a teenage boy and he's, you know, too cool for school now because he's older and he has a girlfriend. So he's just kind of being that kid. But I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense for him to be like that with Hopper. And, and it just annoyed me that he would be like that with him because, you know, I mean, it just didn't make sense. Um, I also would say, like you were saying, Sterling, about splitting up the group, splitting up the boys. I just I get it because I think that it creates a more dynamic story if there's two things going on at the same time. So maybe that's part of why they did it. But again, I just I really just always like it when it's all the kids together. I just think that that whole group dynamic is when it's really at its very best. So I was a little bit upset that they didn't have Dustin in the group more, you know, that kind of thing. Um, also, what annoyed me, okay, the, and this is part of that inconsistency as well, when <laughs> they're trying to get the information for the code or whatever it is. And so Dustin calls his girlfriend that everyone thinks is fake, Susie. And, you know, the way that she's going to give this information is like, no, I need you to sing this song, which was humorous. But I'm like, you're going to do the whole song? Like, you're going to do a whole, like, musical number while we're in this dire situation and nobody's going to stop her from making that the rule? Like, even the parents listening in aren't like, hey, Susie, why don't you save our lives first and then we'll sing you a song? Like, nobody even thought to, like, stop her when she's like, sing the whole song. And it was just really annoying to me. Susie was not my favorite. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of weird. And also, I mean, I kind of blame her for Hopper's death, which I will be honest, I don't think he's actually dead because of that last scene. But if he is dead, it's Susie's fault because she wouldn't just give whatever information they needed like 30 seconds earlier. So I was like, thanks, Susie, you killed Hopper. And that's the worst. So she was kind of annoying. <laughs> Um, and then I would say the, um, I mean, as much as I do like the, the dynamic between Steve and Robin, I didn't care for the interrogation thing that they did because I feel like that was also like, there's no way that would have been their attitude while they're being interrogated and somewhat tortured. Um, I just feel like that would not really have been how they reacted in that situation as kids or teenagers or whatever. So I feel like that didn't really match with the, the, seriousness of the situation that was happening. So I think they could have done that a little bit better. Even though it was humorous, I just felt like it didn't match the tone of 
what was actually happening to them. So it was just kind of not my favorite way that they did that. But um, yeah, so just mostly, I guess it was just kind of breaking up the tone of things in weird spots that I don't think that it should have been broken up in is mostly my issue with it. Um, And I do also agree with um, what you were saying about Will, how, you know, and I actually had heard that too about how some people like, oh, well, maybe they're trying to allude to the fact that his character is gay. I actually, I kind of see it in the same way you do, where I'm like, he's just a kid. Like he, he wants to just be a kid with his friends. He probably just wants to go back to thinking about how their friendships and lives used to be before he was abducted. And so he just wants to live in that. And I think that that's completely normal. And you're right. It was a very genuine type of attitude and um, I guess the way that he reacted to it. So I agree. I think that that was more of a, you know, just him being like, boys want to be boys and they want to hang out and they just want, he just wants to play his games with his friends and forget about everything else and the drama. And he just wants to enjoy being a kid with his friends. So I do agree with that. Um, but yeah, that was just kind of a side note. But yeah, so those, I mean, other than that, it was, I honestly, I do think it was better than season two. But yeah, I mean, it just it was probably tone wise, it was the most sent. No, I definitely get that. Um, oh, fuck, I was going to say something. I, I'm apparently just incredibly forgetful tonight because I was going to say something that was like not necessarily a direct rebuttal of what you said, but a, like a comment to something you said. Nope, right the fuck out my head. Oh, it was about Susie. Like, if that character wasn't like all the way across the country, like living wise, I don't think that scene would have bothered me because then it's, you know, she was like his girlfriend that like left for the summer or something like that. And that was the only way they could communicate at the time. Like that would make sense. But it's like, oh, you know, she's all the way across the country now or lives across the country. So I don't really see that really being a, a possibility or anything that's going to be in season four either, you know? So there's that whole thing, that whole buildup. In which, yes, you could blame Hopper's death on that. When at the same time, you could also blame Hopper for whenever he shoots Russian Terminator guy in the funhouse. He unloads an entire, like, you know, clip into his bulletproof vest instead of shooting him in the fucking head once. You know, Hopper could have prevented his own death way before that. Um, But, you know, just going for a fucking actual kill shot. But, you know, it's in the context of what we actually do get in the show. You know, yes, you can kind of blame you know, her for his death and all this other stuff. It's just, and I don't see for why. Cause like you said, I believe Hopper still is alive. I believe he is the American they're referring to. I think it's probably just a contract thing to where he doesn't have a contract yet for season four, you know, because he thought he might be off being a big movie star, being Hellboy and shit, which, you know, listen to our Hellboy episode. That won't be happening with that franchise. And so I think it's just a contract thing to where he, he's dead if they don't get a contract and it's some other random American and it's him if they do get one. So, you know, I think that's how they're playing that out. Uh, so, yeah, but like I said, with the whole Susie thing, I just don't think it's going to matter in season four. I think that whole scene was just to randomly shoehorn, or shoehorn some nostalgia in with no real payoff as far as it being a character or something that's going to even matter coming later. But we'll see. We don't know. It's not the show is not even renewed for a fourth season yet, even though it apparently broke uh, viewing records for Netflix. I believe that you know, for the number of people that watched it in the first week and stuff like that. But yes, it's not renewed for a fourth season because Netflix just doesn't do it that way. So who knows? Uh, One interesting bit of trivia, though, that I will give you guys before uh, we move on or discuss something else. When it comes to the whole scene with Susie and she, I don't know, it's what Patnick's constant or whatever the fuck constant it is. I read an article today about it, though, just talking about how she actually gave them the wrong number. Um, Like that 
that number, that constant, apparently is like part of a, a formula or whatever that measures like photonic energy or something like that on a wavelength or uh, electron uh, energy on a wavelength or something like that. And that's where that constant comes into play. But apparently in 1984 or 85, whenever the fuck this show was set, I guess it would have to be after 84 because 84 is when Ghostbusters came out. So this would have to be what, 85, 86, somewhere in there. Um, That number would have been based on what it was in 1977. And the number was different in 1977. It's uh, the only reason why it's changed is because scientists have better ways of measuring that number. So the number has been tweaked a little bit. The decimal points are a little different now. Um, just because we're more scientifically accurate with the number. The whole algorithm and the formula is still the same. Um, but yes, the, the decimal points are different now. And the one she gave him was the one that's recent that would not have existed in 1980, whatever. It wouldn't have existed in the 80s at all. I want to say, I think the article read said it changed in 2017, I think. It was 2017, or, I don't know, recently. Um, so yeah, the number she gave him was wrong. Huh, Wow. Okay. So the more you know, kids. Anything else, guys, for season three of Netflix, uh, season three of Netflix's Stranger Things? Nope, I'm good. All right, Heather, right back at you. Recommendation and score for season three only. Definitely recommend it. Um, mostly, obviously, if you have seen the first two, but I, I feel like you might be lost if you haven't seen the first two. But also at this point, if you haven't, I'm very surprised if you haven't seen the first two already. Definitely recommend it. I think it's a fantastic show. It's creative. It's innovative. It's really great writing. It's really great storytelling um, overall. I definitely recommend it. Character development is a huge, huge um, thing in this one that makes it stand out. So I definitely recommend it. And um, I'm going to give this 93 heart-to-heart talks that never happened out of 100. Justin, go. All right. So do I recommend it? Um, Of course I do. This is um, a very good show. This is a very good series. Um, Obviously, if you've seen the other two, then you've got to definitely see this one. And don't misconstrue my words about saying that this is the weakest season or anything like that. And like I said, these things are slighted. And of course, uh, you you know, the the other co-host on here uh, disagree with me. So, you know, a lot of these things can go back and forth in either way. So I don't want you to misconstrue that as this is not good or anything like that. Even though I don't think it's as good as season one and two, there are still a lot of good things about this season. There are still a lot of great character developments, good character moments. There are some great scenes in this. Uh, The special effects are really good. And ultimately, when it culminates and the final battles are where we're there was some good stuff in the final battles and the final reveals and things like that. And then there were even some heartfelt and tragic moments in here. So overall, it it checks just about every box you'd want it to check. Um, As far as a score, um, I'm going to go with, we'll go with 88 um, nostalgic renditions of the never-ending story sang by 
Dustin and Susie out of 100. Just under 90%. I don't think I could quite give it an A. I do feel that the other two are A's. This one with the mystery and intrigue kind of lost with the narrative that they gave us. I I don't think it's necessarily an A, but still very, very, very solid. Definitely watch season three. Um, for me, I, I would have to say I disagree with Heather and Justin um, to a degree. Um, yeah, I, I definitely do recommend season three, but, you know, fuck the first two seasons. You don't have to watch those. Just jump right in. You'll be fine. They give you a little recap at the beginning. That's all you need. You don't need to see all this other shit. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Like, yes, watch all of it. Watch season one, two, three. Watch all of it. Watch it in any order you want. I actually don't give a fuck about that. Do whatever you want with that. But you definitely should. You should watch all three seasons. I would say, you know, the most entertaining way to watch it would be in chronological order, but you do you, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody how to live their life with that. Uh, it's, but when it comes just strictly to season three, like, I mean, I feel like if you've watched seasons one and two, I think that's all the recommendation you need uh, to see season three. But in case you are on the fence and just want a little more, um, yeah, watch it. Like, of course, like just go into it. It's fine. It's, it's a good show. You know, it, it, there's enough new interesting shit in this that you know it really makes it worth it so yes of course watch season three of stranger things um as far as the score goes i'll give this 85 billies walking in front of some horny housewives out of 100 how many did you say 85 85 yeah i mean just to preface what you a little bit like what justin did and all this other stuff i'd say the first season's an a the second season's a a high c this one's a very solid b very solid trending back upwards i would say so on that note guys thank you guys for listening to the cinema slayers podcast check out www.cinemaslayers.com it's all new it's all redesigned it's all fancy it's a lot more podcast heavy there will be a blog and everything coming your way um there will be some new merch and i'll add that stuff to the website uh once our new logo is finished getting designed it's not a completely new logo it's just a more tweaked version of the logo we currently have uh to be a little bit more representative of how we're doing things now so you know once that comes out check out the new merch and all that other shit check us out on facebook which is cinema slayers uh check it cinema slayers podcast Ooh, i almost fucked that up i think i fucked that up on the last time i did this Cinema Slayers podcast now on Facebook. Uh, we are cinema underscore Slayers on Instagram and Twitter. We are something on Snapchat. I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, and I'm the one that set it up. Um, but we will be doing a little bit more Snapchatty type of stuff, um, especially when it comes to like before we record and stuff like that. So then maybe you guys can send me, you know, like videos back of you know how you're feeling about a movie or something like that that we're going to talk on maybe we might start playing those on the podcast a little bit or something too um let us know what you thought of stranger things or any of the movies we have reviewed for the podcast or even movies we haven't reviewed maybe they'll inspire us to maybe do another type of uh, spin-off episode where we uh talk about it stuff like that we will have a patreon coming your way once we get all all of this other stuff figured out and we will also just so you guys know no longer be on soundcloud and as of this episode before this we will actually already be off of it but just in case you you know haven't heard or anything like that or something like that we are not on sound we won't be on soundcloud anymore or as of right now are not on soundcloud anymore we are now on fireside but you still will be able to listen to all our episodes at any of the normal places spotify uh, stitcher uh, tune in apple Podcasts, google play all that stuff the only place you won't be able to listen to it on is soundcloud now um but yeah just let us know what you guys think Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, 
uh, email us. Oh, which the email has changed. Oh, I definitely should bring that up. It's now cinemaslayerspodcast at gmail.com. So hit us up there. Like, tell us what you think. Anything. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast app you listen to. Um, all that stuff helps us get a little bit more tracked with some of the analytics and stuff like that. And it always helps us out. And as always, guys, remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is a Best Picture winner. I have no fucking clue what that was. Mm-hmm.